let's go ahead and get started. A little different today in that this this is a very short text. It's meaty, but short. Uh, Stephen is the first martyr. We're going to look at him and his life here and what it means to be fully surrendered. That's what we've kind of been looking at. You know, this is a culmination of really the birth of the church in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came out and uh, came on the disciples and the apostles and the the 120 people that were there. The church was born 3,000. It grew quickly to 3,000. Then it grew to 8,000. I'm sorry, 5,000 men and their families. Some estimates as high as 15 to 20. And we've kind of gone through this journey of these people and have not seen a martyr yet. And yet they killed Christ, the very one that these people are preaching about. And, and now we see it in Acts chapter 7 at the end where Stephen he goes to sleep, to use the language of the Bible, he goes to sleep at the hands of men who are enraged simply because he's preaching about Jesus. And if you just step back for a second and think about that, that these men could be so enraged that they would kill him, uh, and, and it's not just because he's blaspheming, that was the charge falsely brought against him, but he's laid out a beautiful defense over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at it, how he, he talked about, you know what, <clears throat> the God uh, of the Old Testament is not a God I'm blaspheming against. I support that God. I'm, this is part of his plan. He said the, the new covenant is not against the God of Israel. The new covenant is from the God of Israel, and he shows God's unfolding plan through it all. And he says, I'm not against Moses, Moses was part of God's unfolding plan. He was God's servant. He prophesied about Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I'm not against the law. The law is what drives us to Jesus of Nazareth. That's why we need Jesus of Nazareth. And again, what we see in Scripture may or may not entail all that Stephen said. It may only be a representative portion. Sometimes when we read Scripture, we think that's all that was said. But remember... He was standing in front of the Sanhedrin and he was there and his life was on the line and we get, you know, 50 verses here. I'm sure there was more conversation that probably took place as he was sharing. And he probably elaborated on the law. He elaborated on Moses. He elaborated on the temple, how these were patterns and shadows. And at the end of it all, what happens is they end up rushing him. They rushing. They rush him, I mean. Because they're enraged. Because here's the, here's the bottom line. They crucified the one he's preaching about. So they had two choices. They could admit they were wrong in front of everybody. Or they could kill him. And if you look back at God's servants, whether you start with John the Baptist, or you look at Jesus when he came, and, and now Stephen all the people that killed these servants of the Most High God, these that killed these people, they were really upset because their sin was exposed. Yeah. That, that's what really, it, it goes all the way back. I mean, when someone's sin is exposed, let me ask you guys a question. When your sin is exposed, do you respond by going, hey, thank you, Roy, for pointing that out. I really appreciate that. I, you know, I had no idea that I was being so selfish. 
I had no idea that was going on. Even guys in this room who have the Holy Spirit, we still, when people point out our sin, we don't like it. Think about just in the last week. Alright, for some of you, it's the last day. <laughs> Me included. I'll just tell you something that happened uh, at our table the other night. We were talking. One of my children got really upset because we made a statement. We asked a question about if somebody was a believer or not. And they rose to their defense to say, well, you can't judge them. And I said, you know, you're right. You can't, we can't judge them. But I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Jesus affirms somebody as a professing believer who wasn't producing fruit. Nowhere in Scripture do you see that. And so what I told my, my, one of my children is, I said, listen, you, you need to be concerned if they're not because you should be a witness to them if they're not. It's not that you want to judge them, but you need to be praying. See, we live in a culture that just makes the assumption and is comfortable with the assumption that just because somebody says they're a Christian, they are a Christian. And so one of the questions was, was do they... Go to church regularly? No. Do they read their Bible regularly? No. Um, okay. Well, let's see. What other ways can we determine? Well, I just know they are because they're my friend. What? Since when did their fact that they were a friend make them a believer? But see, that's that's what people think. They, and they allow relationship with people to cloud their ability to look and see if people are true believers or not. And we live in a culture that makes no demands. That's why, uh, you know, that, that statement, I am fully surrendered, it just makes us think about that. It's really, again, not about us. It's about loyalty. It's about Him. It's about His loyalty to us as His people. He says, when you are faithless, I will be faithful. And so Stephen grasped that even within a short amount of time because their culture says, if you follow him, you can be de-synagogued or even possibly killed. And he said, I'm all in. And we see his arguments as he's defending himself. He's just going right through. And he was a man full of faith. Faith is the indicator. James says what? Show me a man who says he has faith and I'm going to show you works. If he's really a man of faith. So if there's no works, there's no faith. If there's no life, then, then it's dead, right? If something has no life in it, it's dead. Show me any other realm where we see something that produces nothing, that uh, it sits with no kind of growth and you, you, you say it's dead. But yet in the spiritual realm, we're comfortable with no growth. We're comfortable with no fruit. And Jesus uses those examples over and over, and Stephen got that. And so he was a man full of faith because he was a man full of the Spirit. He was yielded to God, yielded to His Word. And he was full of courage. And he was full of grace. Not because he was just this awesome guy. It was because the Spirit reigned in him and he knew the Word of God. He knew what the Bible said. 
And for him, the Old Testament was his Bible. He didn't even have the luxury that we have of the New Testament already written. He was a man full of God's presence. Yeah, Jay. Question. So what do you make of the fact that Peter came before the same group earlier in Acts? Yeah. Basically saying the same thing. Yeah. Condemning the Sanhedrin. They beat him, but they let him go. But this time, they stoned Jeff. They stoned Stephen to death. You know, I still think that there was an element of within that party, whether it was Gamaliel alone or others, that had a fear. These people were healing people. There was a, there was, they never denied the miracles. And, and so I think that you know they were they were afraid of the people. The people, I mean, 15,000 people had responded to this message. That creates a problem for them. Uh, it could have been their, their fear of not wanting to create a riot and get Rome on their backs any more than they already were. So it, it could have been a, a whole host of those kind of reasons. But the bottom line with Stephen at this point, they couldn't restrain themselves any longer. They just... And you know, to when you stone somebody, they generally had a pit outside the city that was about twice the size of a man. I mean, his height. And, and they would push them into the pit and then start throwing stones at them. And so, they, they just it says they rushed him, and I think, they, which would lead me to believe, they, well, they took him out, they, they rushed him, they just took him out there in a rage, um, threw him into the pit and killed him because they were so angry at him because they felt like he was... He was putting the conviction of the Holy Spirit on them, and they didn't want that. And, and again, they had two choices. They could say, you're right, we were wrong. By the way, my daughter, which I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, has been unbelievably repentant and soft, so much so that a couple other people have commented about it. And, you know, we were talking at lunch yesterday, and, and she just was like, she was like, you know, Dad, I, I know you're going to forgive me. I know you're going to be gracious. But I just get so mad at myself and because I know it's disappointing to you. And I don't, I, just, I don't know what to do. I get paralyzed, which I thought was a pretty mature thing to say. Um, but she's telling, you know, she's talking about, she's talking about, you know, stuff that these men didn't get, which encourages me because she doesn't have to be soft. I've got relatives who have kids who they go to them and they just don't care. They rebel and they continue to rebel. And when they're caught, they don't care. They still rebel more. And you know, here's the thing, and you'll see this later in, in Revelation. You see God's judgment coming down on the world and it says still they did not repent. People are watching God's judgment rain down. And it says, still they did not repent. And so repentance is a gift from God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so it encourages me. You know, it's hard when people make very bad choices. And you're, especially if you're close to them, it breaks your heart. But when you see the Spirit moving in people, 
to repentance. It's one of the most beautiful things to see that happening. I've experienced it in my own life. You guys know my story. I made awful choices. And then God broke me. And that is a gift today. The other day, we were riding by and I saw a turkey buzzer on the side of the road and I just said, thank you, Lord. I did. I always say thank you, Lord, when I see a turkey buzzer. And my wife goes, what was that? And I said, I I just said, thank you, Lord. She said, I thought you were thanking him for what happened downtown because this was Sunday. And I said, no, it was just a reminder to me of God, what he did to get my attention and bring me back to him. It was a merciful thing for that turkey buzzer to come through my windshield. And it was a merciful thing for my heart to be softened by it. And I don't take that for granted. What we see in Stephen is a guy, he didn't have to have a turkey buzzer. God just softened his heart, prepared him to do what he did, and he's in front of these people trusting in the one true living God. Because this guy knew his scriptures. He knew the Bible. Listen, there's two ways to have a soft heart toward God. One, you spend time in the Word. and Or two, you go through a very difficult circumstance. Because if you're His, your name was written before the world began. And so you're either going to have a thief on the cross moment in your life or a Stephen moment in your life or somewhere in between. That's the way it is because Scripture clearly lays those things out. And so Stephen, here he is, is a man fully surrendered. And as we look at him, remember, we we looked at his defense. He was a bold witness. He was a biblical witness. He was a a faithful witness in defending these things. But what we're going to see today is that a man fully surrendered to the Lord is first of all an enemy to the world. If you're fully surrendered to God, you will be an enemy to the world around you. And if you don't believe it, why in the world would people in Canada so hate a pastor who's wanting just to meet with people in his house that they would go try to burn his house down while he's in jail for being arrested for wanting to gather? With his family in there, people tried to burn his house down. Why is that? Because he's an enemy of the world. Because he cares about Jesus. If you're fully surrendered, don't think that the world is going to love you. They're not. The second thing is you're going to be a witness for His King. A man fully surrendered is going to be a witness for His King. And even in His dying breath, He is witnessing to Jesus. Jesus is all through these five verses. The end of Acts 7. He's still talking about Jesus even though they're killing Him for it. He's talking about Him. They can't stop Him. Why? Because that's why He was made. Guys, that's why you were made. To be a witness for your King. Which King are you going to serve? Which King will you choose? At Christmas time, I do a message about which King are you going to choose? Herod? Or are you going to choose Jesus? I think everybody should have a Herod in their nativity scene to tell people which king are you going to serve? The king who was born in a manger or the king who's got Herodium, the big palace, which is just five miles away? We've got to choose which king we're going to serve. But Stephen is a man fully surrendered and he was an enemy of the world. He was a witness to his king and he was also an ambassador of hope. Because what we see here 
in this uh, our last part of seven is there's a young man named Saul who's watching it all. And as he's watching it, the world is about to get a gift they, that the world doesn't even know it's about to get. These leaders have no idea what they're about to unleash in this man called Saul. He wrote half the New Testament. And he watched Stephen. And it never left him because he talks about it. Luke writes about it at the end of Acts. We know he probably got it from Paul. But it never left him. Guys, don't underestimate the witness of a man fully surrendered. Don't underestimate when somebody sees you going through a difficult time or taking a stand for Jesus, the impact that can have on one person. And look who it impacted. Saul. And so, we're going to read this short text and come back and look at each one of these real quick. Starting in Acts 7, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. What, what things did they hear? Just a quick backtrack. You killed Jesus. You killed the righteous one. Just like your fathers killed the prophets. You're just like your fathers. You killed the righteous one. The one Moses talked about. The one the law was given to bring us to. The one the temple foreshadowed. And the one that God sent from heaven for you. You killed Him. That's what they heard. And they were enraged. And it says they ground their teeth at Him. If you have a King James, it might say they gnashed their teeth. But He, talking about... I like, I like the way Luke does this. There's contrast. They did this, but He was like this. He was like this, but they were like that. There's this contrast all through it. It says, but He, talking about Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens and opened. The heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at Him. Then they cast Him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. <clears throat> Love the fact that it was a loud voice, so yeah. everybody could hear. That. Oh, he he! Listen, unashamedly is going out, crying out to Jesus, talking to Jesus. Yeah. It takes faith to do that. Even at his end of his life, he's crying out in faith to Jesus. Now, going back to verse fifty-four, it says they were enraged. Why? What does John 15 say? It says, if the world hates you, don't fret. It hated me. What do you expect, right? Why do we expect the world to love us? Why do we get so surprised? What does Peter say? Don't be surprised by fiery trials. 
Why? The world is going to hate us. James, the brother of Jesus, said friendship with the world is what? Being at war with God. But why do we so want the approval of the world? Why do we want the world to embrace us? It is so ingrained in us that we want the world's approval and really... If you go back and look in John, I think it's John 11 or 12, John 5, Jesus condemns the leaders there. He says, you care more about the glory of man than the glory of God. And because of that, God turned them over to judicial blindness. You know what judicial blindness is? It's when you move from will not believe to you cannot believe. Isaiah says it. They have ears, but they can't hear. Eyes, but they can't see. The Jewish leaders were full of anger. They had no right to take a life, but they were so enraged by Stephen that they did it. They were so enraged here. But listen, I want to read Psalm 37.12. Go back to um, Psalm 37.12. This phrase, gnashing of teeth, it's not a new phrase. It's not a. It, it was very much understood by the people. Listen to what the, Psalm thirty. This is David speaking. One of David's prayers: "The wicked plot against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him." Luke thirteen and all through Matthew, you see it. Uh, Luke thirteen twenty two. When Jesus is uh, talking um, about the narrow door, a narrow way, Jesus is teaching about how narrow heaven is, that path to Him. He went on His way through towns and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Someone said, Lord, will those who are saved be few? No, everybody's coming in. Right? You can do anything. It don't matter. We're all going to be saved in the end. That's what Rob Bell teaches. That's what Alexander McLaren teaches. These are just two men that promulgate a teaching of Christian universalism. That's what that is. Jesus' death on the cross paid for everybody. So it doesn't matter whether you confess Him. You can be a Buddhist. You can be Islam. doesn't matter. Well, part of that statement is true. His death on the cross paid it for everybody that believed. Yeah. Yeah, they leave that part out of it. They do. Yeah. He did, he did die for everybody, but you got to believe in that. Well, no. He died for everybody who believed. Because they don't appropriate His death. So, if, if I offer a million dollars to everybody and only five people take it, then I, did I give everybody a million? No, I offered it to everybody, but not everybody got it. So, this is the problem. But people buy into this and this guy's asking Jesus, hey, is it true? And someone said, will those be saved be few? He said, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Wait a minute. There's people going to try and they're not going to get there? That's what he's saying. This is Jesus talking, by the way, right? Yeah. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer, I don't know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. 
Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now contrast that with Stephen. These men are enraged. They are coming at him in a rage. And here he is at peace. It says full of the Spirit. He's full of the Spirit. Back in Acts chapter 7, look at what it says. It says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit... What does the Holy Spirit do? If you go back to John 16, 17, John 14, 15, 16, 17, what does the Holy Spirit do? He's our comforter. Have, have you ever been around people that really, really know the Lord? The world can be falling around, behind, around them and they just seem to have this peace and trust in God's sovereignty and His plan. Remember, being full of the Spirit doesn't mean that you're jumping around going, yay Jesus, yay Jesus. It means that you're yielded to God and His plan. And you have this sense of peace. What is the Spirit? He's a comforter to us. And there's a contrast. You've got these worldly men enraged and Stephen's over here full of peace. He's full of the Spirit. And he gazed up into heaven. He trusted in God's plan. He trusted in His peace. Here's the thing. When grace is rejected, there's nothing but judgment. Grace was being... Remember, one of you said this. I think it was you, Jay. Jesus had gone in front of them. The apostles had gone in front of them twice. And now, Stephen is in front of them again sharing the Gospel for the fourth time that we know of. And they rejected again. So when grace is rejected... I'm, there's nothing but judgment. There's nothing but judgment. And again, Herod killed John the Baptist. Why? He, he, he surfaced what he did was wrong. When Jesus was crucified, why? Because He made people know that they were in the wrong. And now Stephen says, you did it. You did this, guys. We are all needy people. We all need a Savior. We all need to understand that if we don't think we're needy, we're going to be like the guy who goes, thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. The one who was justified was not that guy. It was a guy who goes, I can't even look up, Lord. I know I've blown it in my life. I'm so sorry. Being a believer does not mean you have everything together. Being all in doesn't mean that. Being all in means I know that I have no other place to go for redemption. I have no other place to go for value. I have no other place to go for peace and comfort except my Lord Jesus. That's it. And I'm all in with Him. Because I know I have no other... Like Steve, or Peter, I have no other place to go, Lord. How, how can I leave you? You alone have the words of life. I know that. That's what it means. But they were angry. They hated him. He, they, if you're fully surrendered, you're going to be an enemy of the world. Why? Because you're going to expose sin. You're going to expose sin for what it is. For you guys who were there listening to me preach this past weekend, when I'm up on that platform and all these houses are out there, you think, you, you think those people heard that, that it was sin to trust in themselves? Did you hear what I said? I mean, one guy came up to me and said, wow, you were preaching. I said, I was preaching. 
People need to hear that. And and it was it was and I, where was I preaching? I was preaching in a predominantly black area of town on the north side. People that were needy. What's the biggest thing going on in our culture? Drugs. Well, no, it ain't drugs. I mean, what's what's the biggest right now? The biggest thing going on in our culture is people think we're divided. You've got people that feel oppressed. And if you remember, what did I share about? I shared there were a people who were oppressed. And Jesus came to redeem those people. You've you got to go where people are, but you don't let them off the hook. You've got to acknowledge that people are hurting, but you don't tell them, it's okay, you can do anything you want. Amen. You tell people that the only hope for their pain is Jesus. By loving them, bringing them in. Where you tell them the truth. And that's what Stephen did, and they hated him for it. Well, here's what God did in His mercy. He let him see His glory. You know, only a few men saw the glory of God in the Bible. Only a few. There weren't many. Moses in the Old Testament, back in Exodus. Isaiah, when he, says, when he saw the glory, he says, woe is me. I mean, I'm a man of unclean lips. He saw God's glory. Ezekiel saw God's glory. Hey Doug, what do you what do you think he exactly saw when he says saw the glory of God, Stephen? I think he saw the same thing that Peter, James, and John saw up on the Mount of Transfiguration that Moses saw back on the Mount. Um, I think he saw what Ezekiel saw. I think he saw the Shekinah glory. It's it's the beauty of God. The, the, the reality that God, it was a vision of the one true living God and His glory. And, and so when he saw it, it, it was just like those guys. Paul, I think, saw it when it says he was called up to a third heaven when he was over in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, 12. I think they all saw the same thing. It was the reality of God's presence. It was the Shekinah glory that God revealed, but He does not reveal that to everybody. He revealed it to these. And by the way, notice uh, all the people that He revealed it to lived a pretty tough life. Why? The world didn't like them. And notice here when He reveals it to uh, Stephen, it says something that you only see here in Scripture that I remember. I don't, it may be in Revelation. I don't think so, but I think it's only here. You see Jesus standing. Because where is Jesus normally? Sitting. Sitting at the right hand of the Father. And it doesn't say it just once. It says it twice. He was standing. Why? doesn't say why. I think He was standing to welcome Stephen. I think he was picturing, you know, Jesus standing there. God gave him this vision as an act of mercy as he was about to die to see Jesus stand up to welcome him in. To me, there's no greater picture. He didn't just see Jesus sitting. Jesus stood up to welcome him. And also to stand as a witness for him 
in front of the Father. And notice, he didn't just see it, he testified to it. Guys, he was a witness. He was a witness for his king. Behold, I see him standing at the right hand of the Father. I see him standing. The heavens open. The Son of Man standing. This is the last time that this phrase is used in all of Scripture. The Son of Man. That was a messianic term back from Daniel. He saw the Son of Man. 1 Peter 4 says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. He goes on to say in 1 Peter 4, let us entrust our souls to a faithful Creator. And I really believe God gave him this picture, this vision, to welcome him in, to let him know, even though he's going through this difficult time, he can trust him. Do you know that I don't know of any Christian martyr in the history of the world that has ever died in a raging fury? They all have peacefully laid down their life. Go and research it. I have not been able to find one Christian martyr that was fighting against the persecutors. And that to me is one great indictment against Joseph Smith and his brother. Because you know what Joseph Smith and his brother were doing as they were dying? They were in a gun battle with people that were coming to kill them. Did you know that? The founder of Mormonism was in a gun battle. But I don't know of any Christian martyr, beginning with Stephen, who was the first, all the way through our day and age. Those brothers over who were on the shores in, um, was, it, was it Tripoli? Where was it? Uh, or uh, the, the, All the, the Ethiopians who were kneeled or the... Uh, Somewhere in the Middle East. You, you know where I'm talking about. They were in the orange suits on the beach where they beheaded them. They, none of them were fighting. They just willingly went to each one and asked them. None of them would convert to Islam. They were all beheaded. Watching the one before them. But they willingly gave their life. Why? I, I, and it has nothing to do with longevity. There was a guy in Kazakhstan. I've shared this story with you before when I was doing work over there. His name was Peter. He had come to Christ from a Muslim family. And Peter was, um, he, he was so excited about this faith that you could see God drawing him, even though his family booted, out of, booted him out of his family. They, they kicked him out of the house. The guy was only 18 years old and got booted out of his house because he trusted Christ. He was all in with Jesus at a young age. Well, he got accepted into our training program where we train him to be a pastor. We, we saw that God's hand was on him and we wanted to train him to lead and be a pastor. So he and some other students in our training program, this is a few months later, was, was um, walking uh, to uh, the building where we trained them over there and they got jumped by a gang. And they were beating them, taking their jackets, taking whatever money they had. And as they're beating Peter, he's saying, bless you, bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you. And his friends who were part of the training too were like, what are you doing? And he's saying, I am blessing them. This is what it says in the Bible. He had recently read that and he was doing 
what he thought God would want him to do. As they're beating him, they put him in a coma in the hospital. For a month, the kid was in a coma. But his words before he went into that coma was, bless you. In the name of Jesus, bless you. Why? He was a witness for his king. I don't know if any of those guys that beat him came to Christ, but they heard a witness for the one true living God. They heard a witness for Jesus in him. And God calls us to be a witness for him. If we're fully surrendered, we're going to be an enemy of the world. We're going to be a witness for our king. And we're also going to be an ambassador of hope. Verse 60, or I'm sorry, verse 58. They cast him out of the city. Why? Because according to Leviticus, you didn't stone somebody within the city walls. You took him outside. You had to have witnesses. The way it worked was the first witness would push them into the pit. The first one who witnessed against them pushed them into that pit. The second witness would take a big stone and throw on them. And then if that didn't kill them, other people would throw stones on them. And so they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. He was an ambassador of hope. Here this guy Saul, trained by Gamaliel, has been watching this whole thing unfold. He's watched the trial. He's watched the defense. Processing everything. And notice it doesn't say Saul was killing him. He was holding the jackets. He was holding, not the jackets, but the, um, but the, the clothing. The cloaks. He was holding them, watching it all. He heard Stephen say, forgive them. He heard him say, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He saw that. Luke 12 says, don't worry about what to say when you're going through something like this. Don't worry about it. You can't worry about what could happen until it does happen. Don't worry about it. The Spirit will take care of you. The Spirit gave Him a vision, gave Him the boldness to speak about the vision, and even as He's dying, do you think Stephen conjured that up in his own strength to say forgive them? Nobody wants to forgive somebody who's killing them. That's unnatural. But because of the power of the Spirit, He could do it. Paul never forgot this. Listen to what Paul writes over in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1, when he's writing young Timothy and uh, really talking to him about the church, starting in verse 12, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. 
He never forgot what he saw. Over in Acts 22, when he's standing, Paul himself is on trial. This guy who was standing watching Stephen die in 22 verse 19, he says, And I said, Lord, he's giving them testimony. They themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments. He never forgot that. That was a pivotal moment in his life. And he could write in Acts 20, or told Luke who wrote it, I don't account my life of any value or as precious to myself that I just may finish my course. He was a man fully surrendered to Jesus. He knew he was an enemy of the world. He wanted to be a witness to the king, and he was. And he was an ambassador of hope because Saul ended up becoming Paul and giving us some of the greatest text in Scripture for us. Because he was a man fully surrendered. So, you never know who God's going to use. You never know how He's going to use you. Don't discount who He may use you to change the world. So, Father, thank You for the reminder of uh, what it means to be fully surrendered and the impact that it can have on people. I thank God for Saul. I thank God, Lord, that You uh, you used Stephen in Saul's life and what we have today, the treasure we have because of the ministry of Saul, which can be traced back to the ministry of Stephen. The faithful witness of a man fully surrendered, Lord. We thank You for Stephen. I look forward to seeing him one day and thank you, Lord, for the blessing of hope that we have and um, the, just the, the testimony of his life. I thank you, Lord, for all those who've gone before us and given their life so that we might hold a copy of the Scriptures, that we might know the truth and the, the rich history of your people willingly laying down their life so that others might hear that Jesus Christ Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the one true Son of God. Thank you that He is our only hope. And Lord, right now, just I pray that if there's any guy here who has struggled to be fully surrendered, that it would be no more. Today would be the day. You would just say, you know what? I am, I am all in. I'm all in. Thank you. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen. Amen.